Well, I hope everyone had a great 4th of July weekend, and I hope before you put your first hamburger on the grill, or steak on the grill, or hot dog on the grill, or otherwise, whatever festivities you engaged in, that you remembered what the true meaning of the 4th of July is. Celebrating the courage of the greatest generation this country ever had or ever produced to separate themselves from the British. Of course, Maxine Waters and a few other people think it's a racist country. It was a racist country then, it's a racist country now. No redeeming qualities. Well, it certainly allowed a person like you to be elevated to the position of congressperson from California, and you don't even live in the district you represent. So I guess the country isn't perfect, Ms. Waters, but it's not imperfect because of the founding fathers. It's imperfect because of people like you. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another episode of the National Preview Online Podcast. If you have not already subscribed to the show, please do so, and you can do so in one of three easy ways. Go to either the iTunes App Store or the Google Play Store, depending which device you use, and simply search out the NPO Podcast or the National Preview Online Podcast. Click subscribe, and you'll be notified whenever new episodes are uploaded. You can leave reviews leave comments, ask questions, whatever you'd like to do. If you'd like a third-party podcast aggregator app, I highly recommend recommend you download the free Podbean app, which is available in the two aforementioned app stores. Podbean is our hosting service, and we use it, as as do many other podcasters. You can subscribe to the show that way and also leave reviews and comments. If you have any questions for me or would like us to cover a particular topic, feel free to email me, Jamie Dury, at nationalpreviewonline at gmail.com. So, if you recall, one of my last episodes before I took a little break for the holidays, uh, I had mentioned that the government is governing against the will of the people. This has been a constant theme And I mentioned an article in which Tony Blair, the former prime minister of Great Britain, was quoted as saying, if the Democrats were really in as strong as a position uh, as they want you to believe they are in, they wouldn't be talking about things like packing the court, uh, trying to use the chicanery of the last election in the six swing states and try and codify that in a federal bill known as H.R. 1, which was defeated thanks to Democrat Joe Manchin and the senator from Arizona. So the Democrats can't overcome that, and that's a good thing. If that ever became federal law, uh, we would never win an election again in this country. And I don't think we could rely on the Supreme Court to overturn it, although they certainly should, because the Constitution guarantees that the elections are controlled by the states and not by the federal government. And we see evidence of this dynamic going on today again. This time, as a result of the governor of Wisconsin, Governor Tony Evers, who vetoed Assembly Bill 173. Now, this legislation was designed to restrict county clerks and state election commissions from accepting private funding for administering elections. I don't think that's a bad idea. According to Tony Evers, Assembly Bill 173, quote, would generally prohibit any county or municipality from applying for or accepting any non-governmental grants or donations for election administration. 
I am vetoing this bill because I object to restrictions on local governments potentially using supplemental funding for election administration. He alleged that the bill would impose unnecessary restrictions on using private funding, citing that counties and other jurisdictions receive private funding during the COVID-19 pandemic that helped them conduct safe elections under extraordinary circumstances. This according to the first-term governor, and he says this because they were using it to pay for poll workers and personal protective equipment. Now, this veto came after the bill worked its way through the Wisconsin state legislature. It passed the state Senate by a margin of 18 to 14, and it passed the Assembly, which is the lower house, by a margin of 60 to 36. Now, this is insufficiently efficacious to survive a veto by the governor. They cannot override it unless they go back and take a second vote. But when the governor says, I'm vetoing this bill because it imposes unnecessary restrictions on using private funding, let me translate that for you. I'm vetoing this bill because it doesn't allow us to corrupt elections by taking donations from people like Mr. Zuckerberg and other big tech people who sought to subvert the election, and they did. Overriding, um, sorry, Assembly Majority Leader Jim Stenicky, a Republican, he criticized the governor's veto. He said, Tony Evers had every opportunity to take a stand for free and fair elections in our state by signing this bill. Instead, he chose to stand with big tech billionaires and liberal political operatives and allowed this dubious behavior to continue into the future. Now, this private funding idea, it seems to me that private funding has no business in elections because people always want something in exchange when they give you something. And conservatives have been big critics of this increase in private funding. Now, some of the funds came from the Center for Tech and Civic Life. This is a nonprofit group that receives considerable money from Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg. The Center uh, for Tech gave over $6 million in grants to five Wisconsin cities last year, and a federal judge rejected a request to block those grants, saying that the grants didn't violate state law. Now, Zuckerberg tried to write on Facebook last year that this is a nonpartisan center and that the funding will went to help counties have proper staffing. Why didn't the money go to counties and cities in some really, really red states? They didn't need any help. Why is it that the money only went to uh, cities and counties in swing states that could tip a national election by tipping these swing states like Wisconsin uh, and Michigan and Pennsylvania and places like that? To be clear, said Zuckerberg, I agree with those who say that government should have provided these funds, not private citizens. I hope that for future elections, the government provides adequate funding. But absent that funding, I think it's critical that this urgent need is met. Now, why was this need so great? Uh, We had to have fair and safe elections because we had to have protective equipment. Look, I remind you all that by the time the November elections rolled around, in many states, including the six Fugazi states where the chicanery took place, people were already comfortably going to the store, staying six feet apart, even if they had to wear masks like they did in New York, they were going shopping, 
They were going to Walmart. They were going to Trader Joe's. They were going every place they normally went, wearing a mask and staying six feet apart. If you're doing everything else that you do in the normal course of events, there was absolutely no reason for you not to go and wait online and stay six feet apart, wear your silly mask, and vote. The only reason why we had early voting, mail-in voting, unverified voting, no ID voting, is so that we could corrupt the election process and steal the election. And that's exactly what was done. And I'm going to explain it once more for those people who still don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, We're going to do another show where I explain the actual vote totals in previous elections. But essentially, there is no way for a president, an incumbent president, who increased his vote total over his initial election by almost 20 percent, 12 million votes, to lose. You can't say that the votes against him registered dissatisfaction with him in those great numbers. Yes, of course, anytime somebody votes against someone, it's registering dissatisfaction or a preference for the opposition. But when a person increases his vote total, you cannot say he lost because of a swelling of dissatisfaction of votes. Where are these votes coming from? The way it happened is most elections, you get about a 60 percent turnout of the electorate. In some of these places, particularly in these states that were corrupted, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan, Arizona, Georgia. Uh, The reason why you're getting, uh, and Nevada, uh, the reason why you're getting these totals is because you had vote participation rates exceeding 80 and sometimes 90 percent. This is not normal. This is not natural. And it really didn't happen. This is the result of dead people voting, people voting twice, people who moved out of state voting. That's the only way this happened. I'm going to show you some statistical data in the shows to come that compare Trump's victory to the victories of other incumbents and show you how this just bucks the trend. And there's no way this could have happened. But this is what's going on. And and this is what's happening in all of these blue states. And that's why I thought it was rather funny last, um, last week when I talked about how they didn't like it when people were complaining about how the New York City mayoral primary was conducted with fake votes being inadvertently counted for candidates because they were a result of a, of a test vote. But this sort of thing is going on all the time. And so Tony Evers is the latest Democrat operative to lend his voice uh, to what's going on. Now, there is disparity in all of this. I wanted to sort of segue into the pandemic because I, this was just one example of how the Democrats are still trying to fundamentally alter the way elections are conducted in this country and prevent Republicans and conservatives from correcting these things that were put in place in an unconstitutional manner last election cycle that they're trying to codify and make permanent, all based on the virus. So I thought it would be instructive to look at some numbers on the virus. The global death toll from the communist the Chinese Communist Party virus, known as the COVID virus, is now 4 million. 4 million. We have lost, I think, 600,000 in the United States. Now, the official tally from the government data does not take into account the real number of deaths from the virus in China, where the communist regime has gone to great lengths to suppress information about the spread and impact of COVID-19. We don't know what happened there. But it tries to say that the number of lives lost is roughly equal to the number of people killed in all 
of the world's wars since 1982. But I don't know how many wars there were since 1982, not compared to World War II and World War I, according to the estimates from the Peace Research Institute in Oslo. Uh, the total is three times the number of people killed in traffic accidents around the world every year. Well, if it's only three times the number of people, that's a lot of people killed in traffic accidents. So if we have a traffic situation in the world that results in the deaths of people on the scale of one-third of the number of all the deaths from COVID, and people went into a bloody panic from COVID, maybe we should just be, begin to forbid anyone from driving at all. Okay? The toll is close to the population of Los Angeles, more than half that of Hong Kong and nearly 50% of New York City. These are all very, very um, theatrical ways of trying to make the death tolls sound like they're greater than they are. Uh, four million is four million. Don't try and make it sound like more by saying, well, it's half the population of New York City. It's four million. So I thought it might be instructive to find out just how bad it is. Four million. That's a lot of people, isn't it? Well, it is and it isn't. The total number of people killed worldwide is something about the order of 185 million. When you do the math and you divide 4 million, and I'll do it for you as we speak. I did it before, but I'll do it again. 4 million by 185 million, you get 2%, a 2% mortality rate. And that's because in a lot of these areas, third world countries, medicine is not as good. So let's confine ourselves to the United States because what people do in the rest of the world, I guess, is their own business to a degree. What I'm concerned with mostly are people using this false pandemic as an excuse to corrupt elections. There was no reason. Make no mistake, ladies and gentlemen, uh, 600,000 people dead is not an insignificant number. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do something about it, but there was no reason to alter our way of life the way they did. And there's increasingly uh, greater evidence coming out that these masks they want everybody to wear, which was a symbol of intimidation, uh, is not going to do anything. And now we hear rumblings that the Biden administration is going to start going door to door and encourage people to get vaccinated. How are they going to do that unless they know who's been vaccinated and who isn't? Is Big Brother really watching us that closely? The total number of deaths in the United States, as I said a few minutes ago, was 600,000. The total number of cases in the United States is 33,129,646, okay? I'm rounding up, it was 599 and change, so I'll round it up to 600,000. When you have 600,000 deaths, out of 100, uh, I'm sorry, out of 33 million cases, you've got a death rate of less than 2% in the United States. And when you factor in further that the overwhelming majority of those people who died had pre-existing conditions and that the numbers have been fudged so that many of those 600,000 who died did not die from COVID, but died with COVID, since the government was giving you more aid, the more deaths that you could identify as having come from COVID, we've got a lot of fudging of numbers going on 
we have a pandemic that was not nearly as lethal as they want you to believe it was. And as again, even if you want to accept this 600,000 number at face value, it does not justify the sort of draconian measures that were taken by state and local governments uh, in doing what they did to suppress freedoms and steal an election. Moreover, there were some things that just had no basis in logic and can only be uh, explained and reasoned out by a motive of financial gain. And that is the investigation that seems to have gone by the wayside here in the state of New York and other states. But I'm concerned with New York, my home state, where Il Duce, Governor Benito Cuomo, sent thousands upon thousands of of New Yorkers to their deaths by mandating that nursing homes, which are not high-functioning, uh, high-secure medical facilities, but just nursing homes, by mandating nursing homes accept COVID-19 patients as long as they had bed space. They were looking to do anything they could to increase the bed space, but yet the hospitals were never overflowed. And we know this because we know for a fact that the Trump administration built a 3,000-bed hospital in the city of New York, in the Javits Center. The Army set it up in record time, and he also sent the hospital ship Comfort, which was originally designed to accept overflow from hospitals for non-COVID patients. And at the request of that whining, sniveling piece of crap we have in Albany that calls himself the governor, they converted it to COVID. So we had 4,000 beds. I don't think the hospital ship Comfort saw more than 150 patients. And I know that the Javits Center didn't even have 300 patients there. So there was no necessity to infect people who were already in compromised states of health, living in nursing homes, by having these COVID-19 patients brought in. And that's exactly what happened. And people have a right to be furious about that. Because that wasn't the result of COVID. That was the result of gubernatorial incompetence at a grand, sc- at a grand scale. And it was also the result of avarice on the part of the governor, looking to suck any amount of money he could get out of the federal government to bolster this failing state as a result of his fiscal mismanagement. Make no mistake about it. But the Democrats are not finished with us when it comes to this COVID-19 uh, virus. They've, they've latched on to a good thing. They found a way to con- control people they've, uh, through fear, intimidation, and I think people are reaching their limit. They try and do it again, they're going to get some pushback. So they have to try and create as much fear as they can. They can't say it's the same thing. They can't say the virus is rearing its head because people are inoculated against the virus. But now that the, the mainstream consensus is that the advent and broad proliferation of vaccines have contributed to a decrease in daily global deaths from a peak of over 18,000 in January to roughly 7,000 and change, this according to the Epic Times. Um, this improvement, though, they're already trying to, to set the stage, is being dampened by this new Delta variant of the virus, which is believed to be more contagious. I I must point out that more contagious is not necessarily synonymous with more lethal. An early study in Israel, according to the Times, showed that the efficacy, meaning the effectiveness, of the Pfizer vaccine in preventing infections and symptoms has now dropped from 94.5% to 64%, coinciding with the spread 
of this new Delta variant. So now they're going to start telling people they have to do more. Other countries are reimposing preventive measures. Authorities are rushing up uh, the, the campaign to dispense vaccines. Uh, in the United States, a few local governments have, have issued new restrictions over the Delta variant. A few days ago, apparently, Los Angeles County Public Health Department called on residents to wear face masks despite their vaccination status. Uh, the World Health Organization, that corrupt thing that the Chinese use as a little play toy, uh, are also recommending that people wear face coverings. And some countries, including Israel, have either extended or reimposed lockdowns due to the Delta variant. And the United States and other countries now agreeing to share more vaccines. Wealthy, what they call wealthy countries. I don't know how much wealthy we're going to be when every third world lowlife is coming here illegally. But this is what's going on with, with this virus. They're not going to let this thing go. This thing was a home run for them. They saw what they were able to do with it. You think they're just going to walk away from that? Remember what that chief of staff for Obama said that went on to become the mayor of Chicago, Rahm Emanuel. Don't let a good crisis go to waste. And they certainly didn't let this one go to waste. Now, moving on to another topic, they're still trying to go after Trump and maintain that uh, he was responsible for the breaking in of the Capitol. I'd like to know what exactly was so bad at the Capitol. I mean, I know they broke in. I know that there was some property damage. Uh, but I'd like to know what really went on there. There was nobody there with guns except for the Capitol Police. Nobody was shot except for the woman murdered by the Capitol Police officer whose name they won't give out. And as I explained on previous episodes of the show, under the laws of justification, both the FBI's use of deadly physical force and the rules that govern the use of deadly physical force in most state legislatures and in most police departments, nothing existed that day that I saw in that video that would justify shooting someone. In fact, within seconds of Ashley Babbitt being shot, I told you nobody would remember her name. They only remember George Floyd. Um, within seconds of her being shot, she was surrounded by police officers in riot gear, which means this idiot fired into a sea of police officers that were flanking her when he fired. This was a reckless act. The man should be drawn and quartered. He should be tried. He should be convicted. This was cold-blooded murder of a woman who was an Air Force veteran and served her country. 14 years worth of service. So because somebody sat in Nancy Pelosi's chair, I would like to know what was so serious about what these people did that none of them are allowing to be uh, allowed to be let out of jail. They're all being held still in custody pending a trial. Now, two high-profile conservative legal activists have taken issue with this. They claim that the Department of Justice is using a double standard in its treatment of those being detained with respect to the breach of the Capitol on the 6th as compared to those who were arrested during the rioting following the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. More than 500 individuals, according to this article in the Times, have been arrested by federal authorities and charged with multiple serious offenses. So who says they're serious? The federal government? In connection with January 6th. Dozens of these people remain in jail awaiting trial. Nearly the same number of people were arrested during the June uh, 2020 protests 
of the Floyd death around the White House and in nearby areas of downtown Washington. Those disturbances were among the dozens that rocked major U.S. cities, but most of the arrests were for minor offenses such as curfew violations, failure to disperse. Few of them were jailed following their arrest, but attorneys for a dozen of the January 6th detainees claim their clients are being subjected to unconstitutional civil liberties violations, including unjustified solitary confinement, being deprived of private conversations with their attorneys, that should be allowed, lack of needed medical care, terrible sanitary conditions. They're being held in facilities of the District of Columbia Department of Corrections, which is a dump, I can tell you. Um, I've been down there. It's a dump. Back in the day when I worked with certain government agencies. The DOJ is not responding to any requests for comment by the Epic Times. They try and treat them as a pariah. But regardless of any particular detainee's guilt or innocence, all of them have the same constitutionally guaranteed right as every other American citizen. So says President Lori Roman of the American Constitutional Rights Union. It is common knowledge, she said, that Washington, D.C. has one of the most lenient arrest and release systems in this country. We saw this clearly during the destructive 2020 riots when almost all felony charges were dropped and those arrested were released without bail. When compared to the treatment of those arrested on January 6th, it appears there is a two-tiered system of justice that offers up different penalties based on the viewpoints of the accused. Here, here, Ms. Roman, I couldn't agree with you more. And Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton agreed the DOJ is applying a double standard and compared the treatment of the rioters associated with left-wing groups like Antifa last summer and those in 2018 protesting Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh's nomination with how they're treating the people on January 6th. This is disgraceful, and it needs to end. But what can you expect? People aren't getting out of sorts over this because so many of our young people have been the product of the American education system. And the American education system is woefully inadequate. And I saw a stunning example of this over the 4th of July weekend. And I thought I would share it with you. I don't watch Fox News anymore. Ever since what they did, the election night calling the state of Arizona the way they did and waiting forever to call the state of Florida to make sure that at no point it ever looked like Donald Trump was ahead in the election, I've written Fox off. They are no longer what they were. I get my news from radio, from Newsmax, from various periodicals that I read, um, and occasionally I will see particular excerpts from Fox News that are loaded up onto YouTube, but I do not watch the channel anymore. So something caught my eye on YouTube that took place I think, uh, on Greg Gutfeld's show. And they were interviewing students from colleges. I think this was Georgetown. And I want you to listen to some of the remarks on these kids, young men and women, who are going to institutions of higher learning in our country, some of our best institutions of higher learning. And listen to what they have to say. I think it's going to shock you. We fought, as Gutfeld said, a war in 1776 to free ourselves from an, maybe the most powerful empire, one of the most powerful empires the world has ever seen, the Brits. And 200 years later, 
we get to listen to this. So bear with me as I bring it to you. Here we are. We can listen to this. Are you proud to be an American? No. I feel embarrassed to be an American every day. I think a lot of things about this country are really embarrassing. Just like, I mean, racist history, colonization, even currently, just what's going on with politics and the cops. Um, not really in this climate. No, like, I'm a black person. So obviously I experience a lot of, uh, you know, there's like oppression that comes with that. Um, not most of the time. I think sometimes it's just a little embarrassing. I think that's a complicated question for me. I think I, I, I think most of the time, no, at least over like the past four years, um, it's been tricky to, you know, love to be an American. Halfsies on that? Like partly, because like, I feel like there's certain topics where it's like very controversial, but like, I don't know. I just think that our economy just cares about money and not like our, like they're humans, like, yeah, in general. I mean, oh my G. How many times did that girl say like? You heard it. I heard it. These are people that were on the campus of Georgetown University. That's one of the most prestigious universities in this entire country. And they can't speak in a grammatically correct manner. They speak like valley girls. They're all idiots. Now, all of these people that were um, questioned were all women. I don't know why that was. I don't know if it was like part of a, I want to be like, 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 I'm going to do that too. Okay. I don't know if it was like, uh, oh, maybe like a girl's thing. Oh, no, I don't know. All kidding aside, I do not know why it was only women that were questioned. The interviewer is a woman and perhaps it was part of some sort of process where they were only getting the opinion of women. Uh, I didn't get that uh, information. There was no backstory to it. But the fact remains, these are students at Georgetown University. They've been through the public or private education system. They're now in a prestigious university, and they don't know enough about the country's history to make an informed judgment as to whether they should be proud or not proud. Now, if you're not proud of the United States, it means I I gather you're not too comfortable living here. Maybe there's a state or something that's, that's better a place that's better to live in. I mean, like George Byrne famously said about his friend Jack Benny, who said he never had a good cup of coffee in his life. He said, if you never had a good cup of coffee, how can you tell this is bad? So if, if the United States is really that bad, it means to me that you should be able to name some place that's better, right? So let's see what happens with that. They do a follow-up question. So let's just get a quick look on that one, okay? Let me get cue it up for you here. Here we go. Are you ready? It is. Can you name a better country than the United States, in your opinion? I'm not sure if I can. I don't think I can. Um, I mean, there's probably a really tiny European country that's thriving. Ooh, good question. Europe? Europe's not a country. You get what I'm saying. And these people go to Georgetown. One person thinks Europe's a country, and the other two uh, brain-dead um, valley girls can't name a better country than the United States, but they're convinced that the United States is a racist and a bad country, but yet they have nothing to compare it to. So if you're wondering why so many people 
so many of our young people are befuddled and are believing nonsense is because they're uneducated dolts. If you can't get a quality education at Georgetown University, if these are the kind of brain-dead, empty-headed fools that are coming out are out of our most prestigious institutions of higher learning, what does the future hold for America? And I don't say that as a rhetorical question. I say that in all seriousness and all concern. You just can't make this stuff up. Stay tuned for our next episode. Join me, please, frequently. Once again, subscribe to the show if you have not done so already. Email me at National Preview Online. We'd love to hear from you. We'll be coming back more and more frequently and digging deeper and deeper into these issues of the day, issues that other people aren't talking about or at least not talking about in depth as we are. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.